This is Digital Marketer. Hey, it's Marky Grass here, and I've got a question for you. What if you could legally get the emails of almost every person who visits your site? Seriously, what if you could safely and respectfully retarget your website visitors via email just by dropping a pixel onto your site? It might sound too good to be true, but our new sponsors at getemails.com can do just that. They've created a system that's compliant with U.S. laws and regulations, and every email address they send you is opted in to receive emails. So that means that you can connect your anonymous website visitors to real people and safely retarget them through email with real-time, fully compliant interactions. It might sound too good to be true, but trust me, it works. The CEO, Adam Robinson, is brilliant. And he believes in his product so much that he's willing to do something a little crazy for digital marketer listeners. If you go through their easy 30-minute onboarding process and haven't 5X your investment within the first six months, they'll give you all of your money back. To take advantage of the offer, go to getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. That's getemails.com slash digitalmarketer. Hey, DM listeners, thanks for joining us on today's show. This episode is a little different from our regular interviews where you learn from some of the most successful digital marketers out there. And instead, we're going to have one of them share the story of how they got there. Because if I look at Amber Spears' website, it says she's a connector, a closer, and the founder of East Fifth Avenue, an affiliate marketing consulting company. And she also pioneered the eight-figure affiliate framework that's helped a ton of people in the DM community revolutionize their affiliate marketing. But this is the happy ending that everybody sees. And I don't think people know what Amber had to go through to get here. Because Amber is such an inspiration for so many in the DM community. And I think today's show will shed a little insight into why she's been such a bright light. But before Amber was an affiliate marketing rock star, she was just a little girl trying to find herself. And so the first place we'll start in the story is with their parents, specifically Amber's father. My dad was very much like the patriarchal, strong, overarching, like, quote unquote, leader of the family. My father was adopted when he was young because he came from a very violent, heavy drinking, uh, abusive family. And to be taken out of your home in the 60s and 70s, you had to be really abused, like at a very severe level. And so, you know, he grew up not really being close to his brothers and sisters and being adopted out to a family in Tucson from Illinois. And, you know, he found his refuge in God. He found his refuge in the church, right? And so it made sense to me why he identified so heavily with this. My dad was and still is a struggling entrepreneur who's never quite found his footing and a person who is still a zealot for a very traditional form of Christianity, the most right-wing religious extreme version of Christianity is the Christianity that my father adhered to. And so he has been a zealot his entire life since he became a Christian. And those two things combined, a lack of grasping entrepreneurship with a form of evangelizing made my childhood and my sister's childhood very odd because you know, he would struggle with making money for the family and then would decide to go and move and pack up everything and decide that, you know, his actual calling is to spread the word of Christ. And so he would then take us 
places uproot our lives to then evangelize and then start picking up odd jobs as a contractor and a painter. And so our life was very much constantly in flow. I was homeschooled pretty much with a couple exceptions up until about 13 years old. And so there was a constant movement and a lot of uncertainty around money, a lot of uncertainty around God, which was such a central part of my upbringing because of my dad's deep commitment to his faith and his version of that faith. And I think, you know, as a really young child, I had this inner world that saved me, right? Like the books that I was reading, like I have Aslan lion tattooed on my arm because that was one of the books that got me through. It was the only bridge I think I have with my father with religion because Aslan the lion is C.S. Lewis' version of Jesus. And so that version of Jesus, I understood, right? And like, there were books that really, that really raised me in a big way in my internal world, which was like Anne of Green Gables, the Chronicles of Narnia, all the Sherlock Holmes books. So it's like, there was core books growing up with me where I had this inner world where I envisioned myself as, you know, a part of each one of those worlds to like piece my life together. Because there's also something else that made the relationship between Amber and her father a bit more challenging. Being gay and knowing from a very early age that I was different, knowing from a very early age that these characters that my dad would portray as sick and perverted and going to hell were people that were interesting to me that I identified with a bit more and knowing from a really early age that I had to hide parts of me without really knowing that those parts of me were the parts that were gay or the parts of me that didn't quite believe that there was a God that was this overarching, domineering, scary version of God that my dad believed in. And, you know, he found his refuge in God. He found his refuge in the church, right? And so it made sense to me why he identified so heavily with this. And then he married a Mexican woman that he met in Mexico when he was preaching at a quinceanera. And to watch my mother and my father battle each other for space and for for love and to straddle these two worlds of like a woman who did not know English when she moved here, did not know like how to write, how to read, how to do any of that in English. And to make her way in a world where my father wanted to control. And I don't even really think he wanted her to even learn English because he had a version of like traditional male female roles where the woman runs the household and acquiesces to the man. And the man runs the household and makes the decisions for the family. And so like he picked the wrong one because he picked a very strong, very like, (laughs) I will not bend my knee woman. And it was a constant battle between. And so when things would get violent or things would get out of hand, my mom would leave. And like, it was a constant like back and forth, back and forth between the two worlds. She would flee home or flee to a woman's shelter. And so it was this constant back and forth where I'm also grappling with my identity, not only as someone who's gay and as a woman feeling like, hey, I'm, I'm pretty smart. My mom's pretty smart. We should probably also be contributing to this, like decisions and like our own autonomy and things. 
Now, it seems that Amber also wasn't the first woman in her family to have strong ambitions and a willingness to work hard. I do have a silver thread in my lifetime with the strong women in my family. And like, for example, my grandmother started a store in the front of her house and a little barrio in Nogales, Arizona. I mean, poor, like poor, poor. Like when you're, when you're talking, you think like shanties, like it's a very poor area. My grandmother was always hustling. So she started a storefront in front of their house. My grandfather built it out and they were like the neighborhood store. My mother helped her run it. My grandma was the oldest female in her family. And with that just comes a ton of responsibility. But despite these challenging circumstances, Amber was still able to find herself through all of it. My mother's family, they were the most loving and the most accepting. I think they always knew that I was different, but they loved me just how I was anyways. But we didn't talk about it. It was just not discussed. So the world that we were around was very ultra-religious Christian. So I felt like I had to hide so often. But like this straddling of the world was just so tough for me, especially and for my sisters, I think, because, you know, it was like, I'm not a Mexican immigrant. I'm, I don't speak 100% Spanish. I don't feel connected to this God that my dad talks about so often. I feel like I need to hide parts of me from everyone. We're constantly moving. I have no structure being homeschooled, right? Like my parents' version of homeschooling was like letting me go to the library and, and reading books. It wasn't like I was taught math or science or anything, right? I was taught different skills, how to hang drywall, how to paint, how to <laughs> how to do that kind of stuff, but not really any true education. And so I think all of that movement and like looking at things through different eyes and constantly questioning why is a big part of my identity and a, and a big part of, of me being able to succeed in entrepreneurship because so much of it when you're, especially when you're first starting is complete chaos because you're building something out of nothing. It's a thought that you have that you then have to birth into reality. And it was actually during childhood that Amber's entrepreneurship career began. I watched my dad have his own business and I watched my mom like kind of hustle. And so then I started my own lemonade stands and selling candy out of the back of my dad's trucks. And my dad and I every year would sell glow sticks on 4th of July, like, you know, walk around glow sticks, get your glow sticks. Like, so I've always had a hustle, like since I was young and I was the first person in my family to uh, go to college, graduate from college. And while I was in there, I had a bunch of hustles. I was a nanny. I worked at the Olive Garden. I worked at the Ventana Canyon. I worked at Omni Tucson National Resort. Like I had all these hustles. And then eventually I created my own entertainment company where I was like throwing college parties and like, all this stuff. So I was doing all of that. And I ended up staying an extra year so I could study underneath Dr. Melissa Curran and a few other professors. And when I was there, I ended up getting accepted into the Eller College of Business. And I was a poli-sci major. So at the time, that wasn't like the norm. You had to be like a business person to be in that group. And I'm in the middle of all my hustles trying to figure my life out. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll be a real estate agent like my mom, or maybe I'll be a lawyer. I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing. And I ended up being in this class with this really amazing guy who sold his company to Oracle for hundreds of millions of dollars. And he was like a guest professor. And this was in 2010. And I remember someone asking him, if you could do anything in marketing, because it was a marketing class, what would you focus on? And 
I was sitting here thinking about all my hustles, right? Like my party planning thing where I was like throwing ragers and like, you know, my mom's business. I'm like, would that make me happy? Would being a lawyer make me happy? Like I hadn't even thought about being a marketer. It didn't even cross my brain. And he said, there's this thing called SEO. It's called search engine optimization. And right now Google's being used a lot for, you know, projects. Like you're looking, researching for papers and all that stuff. But I believe then in the future, people are going to use Google for everything. They're going to use it to find restaurants. They're going to use it to uh, drive and find directions. They're going to use it for so many things. And Google is based on an algorithm. And so if you can crack the algorithm of Google with search engine optimization, you can make a lot of money because now you can funnel the traffic and the customers and you can be in control of where that flow goes. And so I wrote it down and I was like, hmm, interesting. So you would think that that was the day that Amber started her digital marketing career, but she actually ended up getting a full scholarship to go back to grad school. So I was fully funded to get my law degree or my PhD, whatever I wanted to do. And I took a year and I was like, well, I got to make money. It's kind of hard to study for the LSAT and still keep, you know, serving and nannying and doing college ragers. Like I really have to think of something else to do, right? Because it's just not conductive to me studying. And so I looked on Craigslist and I saw this ad that said, we cracked Google's algorithm, search engine optimization company here in Tucson. And I was like, dang, like that's what that guy was talking about, dude. I'm going to go and like, I'm going to go to this. And I ended up walking into this really crappy office in this really just not great office building in Tucson, walked downstairs into the basement and there's like a couple folding chairs and it's Alona Rudnitsky, who's my business partner now. And then Mike, her husband, who ended up transforming into something new. It's called Helix House. And they explained to me how this works. Like they have link builders and they do all this stuff and they, and they navigate it and that they can get you for any keyword, attorney Tucson, bet Tucson, whatever it is, they can get you rank for it. And I was like, hmm. okay. So I started on all commission, I was like, I'll take a crack at it. I remember I bought a blazer from Goodwill. So I was like, I better look professional. You know what I mean? I better look really professional if I'm going to go talk to business owners and sell them my $75 a month SEO packages. Like, oh, professional. And I remember there was like bird poop on this like jacket that I had to like clean off and like get it pressed. It was just like not, not the business, right? It was very different beginnings, but it taught me so much. And it's one of the reasons uh, why I love when I'm hiring teams or I'm recommending for people to hire like affiliate managers or salespeople. Like I love people that had door-to-door -door experience because there's nothing like it. Like it was one of the best trainings on earth. And I started going, drive up to an office complex park my car, take my packets out, right? And start, you know, knocking on doors or walking in and like, no one wanted me there. No one wanted me there. And certainly nobody wanted to buy my $75 a month SEO packages when they were paying decks and yellow pages, thousands of dollars a year, right? And so it was an interesting thing to be trying to sell the vision of the future of where things are going and try to get them to understand and build awareness and then to get them to give me their money on something totally unproven. And it took me two months to make a sale. I didn't pay rent for two months. It was so bad. And uh, I almost got kicked out of my house. And then I got it. Something just changed. And like, I got it. And like, then I was like, right, selling left and right. Like, and we're getting great results. And we're like, I'm seeing it. Now I'm, now I'm a believer. Before I was like, I'm going to do it for work. And then I started seeing the call tracking, the, the phone numbers, right? The business flying in, they're re-signing, they're upping their packages. I'm like, damn, like we are transforming these companies completely. Like we are completely changing 
these business owners' lives. And then once I was an evangelist, it was really easy to keep going. And that was the very beginning of my marketing career. I definitely would not have been here if it wasn't for that professor saying that because I have always been that way. I listen to people smarter than me, write things down, and then go do what they said to do. Now, this might be the part of the story where you think Amber gets her big break, but she had one more challenge to overcome first. I was struggling so much in Phoenix. Like I had become their most successful salesperson. And then the idea was with Mike and Alona, my boss is like, well, you're so good at selling. Why don't you be a manager? And I despised being a manager so much, being in office, opening the office up. I was really dealing mostly with customer service challenges and a team that was motivated on all commissions a lot. And most of those people, most people are not intrinsically motivated. Right. And so it was a lot of work and it was chaos and I didn't like it. And I ended up, you know, I was making good money, but I was making more money as a salesperson. And so I asked them, hey, by the way, my personal life was in shambles. I had a five year relationship that (laughs) burned down to the ground. And like, I'm just like, you know, depressed. And I I was like, I'm just going to go back to being a salesperson. And the comps had changed. I was not, they were not willing to let me step down and take my former clients over. So in the past, I was getting residual commission every month from my clients who resigned. And they were like, you can step down as a manager, but you have to start with a new portfolio, a completely new book. And I was just like, this sucks, right? So everything is just looking lame. And then this long form sales letter comes out and it's all about like, I'm gonna teach you my greatest secret. I'm gonna teach you how to be a millionaire. I'm gonna tuck you under my wing. And I'm going to show you the secrets of marketing. And I was like, so sold. I was like, I'm ready. Like, let's do it. I flew in and interviewed. They offered me the job. I had to move in two weeks. And, you know, I had to take that leap on myself. And I was so sold from the sales letter, right? And and it was ended up being a junior copywriting position. And I thought, like, I'm going to come in. And yes, it's only a $22,500 base, but I'm going to make hundreds of thousands a year because I'm going to write all these like amazing high converting sales pages. And the truth was that a junior copywriter doesn't do that. A junior copywriter handwrites a bunch of sales letters to learn and is a sponge and a basically a resource monkey for the senior writers who get the royalties. And so that did not happen. And after six, seven months of me really struggling with that, I came to the owners at the time and I was just like, dude, I can't live like this. Like it's not enough money. I can barely make it here in Denver. I'm like eating through all my savings and I just, I need to do something else. And they knew my background. And so they were like, Hey, you can revitalize the affiliate department. It's been kind of dormant this whole time. I crushed it. I helped build it up into the, probably the most successful affiliate like years that they've ever had there because I know how to work phones and I know how to close deals. I know how to ask for business. And I don't think they'd had a professional salesperson before in that role. And I got hooked because it was like, I remember working at an agency, right? And if I'm competing for Nike's business, which we ended up working with huge companies like that, you know, we started at local and then we went up. But I remember if I'm going after the Nike account and Nike's looking for an SEO company, there's no way that I'm going to call the other people that are also pitching Nike and say, hey, man, what do you got in your proposal? How much are you charging and how many links are you giving them? And you know, what domains are you going to do? And what's your plan here? And who's going to work on it? That would never happen. Whereas in direct response kind of world or influencer affiliate marketer world, we have a success and then we say, hey, this 
vendor worked really well for us. This hook worked really well for us. This is how many customers we have on our email list. This is how much they're worth. Like, uh, let me send customers to you if it's a fit. That's, I've never seen anything like that, that level of collaboration ever. And I just think it's so much more fun and you can learn so much faster and scale so much faster when you're willing to share you know, trade secrets like that and, and be willing to be vulnerable and open about what you're doing. And so from that moment, I was hooked on partnership marketing. So I was like, this is so different. Yes, there's competition, of course. That's the reason why things like leaderboards work really well, because everyone wants to be number one, right? Like there's still an element of that, but it's a collaborative spirit that I've never seen outside of affiliate marketing ever. So I had to ask Amber her definition of affiliate marketing. So to me, it's relationship marketing. I mean, to me, that's what it is. And there's so many different names for it, right? There's partnership marketing, there's joint venture marketing, there's affiliate marketing, there's performance marketing, there's influencer marketing, there's all these different terms for really the same thing, which is at the end of the day, referral-based, relationship-based marketing. I think if you strip it all away, it's essentially as old as time, as old as business. Because if you think about it, what is affiliate marketing? Well, it's me sending you to someone that I know, like, and trust. Hey, Ryan Dice here. You know, it's been a while since I've run the day-to-day for Digital Marketer, the company that Roland and I are partners in. Fortunately, we have a great team and great partners who help us with all that nitty-gritty stuff now. But the one thing that we focused on while I was there and the one thing the team still focuses on to this day is optimizing everything. I'm talking testing everything from the sales copy to the color of the checkout button. Testing like this can have a huge impact on your bottom line, but the truth is it takes a lot of time and a lot of resources. And half the time we were just throwing stuff against the wall just to kind of see what stuck. But the good news is you don't have to figure everything out on your own anymore. And that's because our friends at Conversion Fanatics have optimized hundreds of sites in all types of industries from small startups to Fortune 500s. And now they can handle all your testing and optimization for you too. So if you feel stuck when it comes to optimizing your website, go and visit conversionfanatics.com and they'll give you a list of custom suggestions to optimize your site 100% free. Once again, you can find them at conversionfanatics.com. And if you end up purchasing from that person that I know, like, and trust, they're going to take that money and they're going to give it back to me, a little piece of it as a thank you for referring that business. And it's been happening as long as there's been business. And so that's what's happening on, on this now with affiliate marketing, which is I have a guy, you know, if you have gut problems, I have a guy with a probiotic. I love the probiotic. I recommend the probiotic and I'm going to, you know, offer you the opportunity to buy from him. I vetted him. I like him. And if you purchase, whether you say it or not, I'm going to get a kickback of that. So it's it's sim- really simple. And there's just so many different words for it. I remember in 2020, the last affiliate summit that I went to before the pandemic shut everything down, they had a whole panel devoted to what do we call affiliate marketing right now, <laughs> right? Is it partnership marketing? Is it relationship marketing? Is it performance marketing? Is it influencer marketing? What is it? And so everyone has their own thing, but I like relationship-based marketing or partnership-based marketing. I also asked Amber if she's ever been surprised by the success of an affiliate marketing campaign. The thing that surprised me the most 
is when I was living in Denver, I had Truth About Cancer come to me and they had just gotten off of one launch. And I think they did maybe 700,000 or something, which is very successful, but um, nowhere near what they ended up doing after that. And essentially what they had thought of was a docu-series. And I remember looking at it and being like, this is so dumb. Why would anyone pay money to buy something they can watch for free? Right? Like that's, I don't understand. And so now the docu-series is everywhere, right? I mean, you have it on Netflix. It makes sense. But like then it was like, they basically took the summit model, which had been killing it, but had been, you know, not as exciting, right? They basically took that and they shot it in high quality footage and then did the whole, you know, episode one is free and then it expires and episode two, then it expires. And then you have the encore weekend and you have the whole thing, right? And I, I looked just like a summit, but it was like a movie and it was like really cool, but I just couldn't quite get and graphs like, why would you buy this? And then on top of it, you're selling a lot of DVDs. Who has DVDs? Like none of this makes sense, right? And then I then I watched them do the first one and I was like, oh, we have something here. And I ended up joining the team, I think after the second launch and we ended up doing 8.8 million and then we did another nine plus million dollar launch and millions of leads. And you know, this was 2016 is when we ended up doing that. And since it's created like a movement, but it just surprised me. It surprised me at the time to see that and to also know how often I'm wrong. I think for any marketer, like I will have very strong opinions about stuff and I'll come in and see it just like this docuseries that took the world by the storm, right? Everything just needs to be tested and, and kind of worked through. But it seems that affiliate marketing has gotten a bad rap lately. So I asked her about the industry having the reputation of being slimy or unethical. There is always a little bit of hesitation around affiliate marketing because when you think about the worst of the worst of affiliate marketers, right? I think so many of them are like SEO review sites, coupon site, you know, coupon code sites are just leeching off of your own key return, your own efforts, right? There's affiliates that will take your, you know, offers and make outrageous claims with them and put you in danger with, you know, the FDA or the FTC, right? There are people that actually commit a lot of fraud on affiliate networks, right? They'll get a bunch of fake credit cards and purchase things. And then you're responsible for figuring out, you know, what's what's going on and you're putting yourself at risk. So there are some, some issues like that. But I think that's what we're trying to change as marketers in the future. Like my belief is that the future of affiliate marketing or partnership marketing is vertical integration. And what I mean by that is when you first started seeing these influencers promoting these products, one day they might be promoting sugar bear hair vitamins. The next day they're promoting another sugar bear thing for another company. And then they're promoting this whey protein or this whey protein, right? And so it's gotten to the point now where I think the consumer is so much smarter and that us as partnership marketers or affiliate marketers have to understand that and we have to start making moves in the sense that we need to start vertically integrating with the brands that are the best affiliate partners for us and what i mean by that is it's no longer like going to work effectively to just do a blast on my email list what would make sense is i am going to promote your product and I'm going to do a story arc around it or a vertical integration around it, meaning I'm going to start talking about the problem that your product solves in an email 
end blog post. And then I'm going to start laying the foundation to you being the solution. Then I'm going to do live streams with you, maybe a webinar, maybe I'm going to do an Instagram live or a Facebook live or what have you. And then I'm going to then send a full promotional email to my list. I'm going to start putting you in the PS of my newsletter. If things are working well. I'm going to make you the person for this solution. And then I'm going to maybe start creating joint content together on my blog. I'm going to start, you know, having you on my podcast. I'm going to have you start sponsoring my podcast. Like it's about picking the right people. It's about not going as wide and exposing yourself to as much risk. It's about for these affiliate partners that drive the most business for me that are in alignment for my brand, right? Because it's going to be different for people who want to build brands versus people who are just offer based. I think the times of offers, it was a heyday for the last 10 years. You build up an offer, crush it, and then you just let it die and you build the next one. That's still happening, but I think it's really falling out of style. I think where we're starting to go and understand is that the consumer wants to have a brand they know, like, and trust. And that's where I see the vertical integration really needing to happen. And I think that is the future of, of where we're going for high-end affiliate marketing, which is what I specialize in, right? Which is not spammy. We're doing good work. We have good products. We're really helping each other grow. And I am your person of record for this product. Maybe I'm your gut health person, or I'm your person for podcasts, or I'm your person for whatever. And we're going to go really deep with each other's businesses to help each other grow instead of having five different, you know, gut health offers that I promote in a single month. And that's going to require more thought. It's going to require more navigation around the commissions more, you know, a lot more thought, but I think we're going to end up mitigating risk a lot more and also building more trust with the consumer. So how are they going to trust me if every other day I promote, you know, a different type of gut hoff offer? It's worked for years, but it's working less and less effectively. And there'll be people that will argue with me all day long. Those people are usually offer-based businesses. They're not brands. The last thing Amber and I talked about was what a business owner can do to get started with affiliate marketing. So if you've never done it before, what I would say is, first and foremost, you have to sit down and think through, if I was going to do this with another company and I was going to pay them per customer or per referral, how much could I actually give them, right? Not how much do I want to give them, it's what are my margins? And you should also be looking on if you were buying media, how much was it costing you to acquire a customer or to, to set up a call? That should be a rough point of starting for you. Because most of the time you're going to overpay anyways on these because they're cold as hell. They're ice cold, right? As opposed to having someone refer you over that no likes and trusts you, the close ratio will be much higher. So I would start there. If you have the ability and you, you've run traffic before or you're working with an agency now and this is how much it's costing you per lead or per customer, that's where I would start. Then I would also look really deep into my own margins and say, okay, how much could I really give? How much would I want to give? If the situation was reversed, how would I want to be treated? And then really figure out what that range is. And I'm going to get a little complicated right here for a second. I think it's important. So if I look at my margin and I say, okay, the most amount of money that I could afford to pay a customer is hundred for a customer is hundred dollars. Let's just keep it easy. Then what I would offer to most people would be publicly facing. I can offer $75 a customer. And then once you have people that are coming in and are affiliates for you, I would then look at who's driving the most quality business. And I would let them know there is some room to go up to $100 
in here if you hit certain metrics, right? Certain sales metrics. But the moment that you don't hit those metrics, then we have to claw you back down to 75, right? And the reason why I can increase is on volume. And so you always give yourself a little wiggle room. You always want to have enough money to incentivize your top affiliate partners to keep promoting, but you, you don't want to start at $25, right? If you can give a hundred and you're only giving $25, chances are you are not giving enough money to be competitive or to be exciting or to be motivating. And so you have to start, you know, and really think that through, think about if you were in that driver's seat, what you want to do. So first it's how much can I give? Second is how I'm going to, how am I going to track this? Right. A lot of people want to do affiliate marketing and they have no way to track it. So what they may not know is like maybe if you're on Infusionsoft already, then there's capability in Infusionsoft to flip it on and you have affiliate tracking. Or you might have to add on a third party tracking like Everflow, which is one of my favorite ones. Uh, Everflow has great uptime. It's a pixel you put on and like amazing clean tracking. It's got to be clean. you got to be able to see things like how many leads that I send, how many clicks that I send, how many of those turn into customers from where, right? It's got to be clean data. It's really hard to just flip on click funnels and do that. Their, their, their affiliate tracking is not, not really the business there. So it's got to be clean tracking, right? So if you know how much you can pay and you have the ability to track that and you feel like you have something that's attractive to you know, potential affiliate partners, then the next thing is really kind of getting data. And what I would do is go and say, hey, I have this, you know, I have this program. Here's how much I can give. I'm new to affiliate marketing, but I think you'll be an amazing fit. Here's why. Our avatars fit, right? And that's the other thing is who are you going to go after? Now that you have the foundation, the next thing is who makes sense to be a partner for me? And what you want to think through is if you serve a core person, let's just say that you own a gym, right? And you have women, you specialize in helping women over 50 lose weight and increase bone density and look amazing, right? Then what I'd be thinking through is what other services as a holistic version of my avatar, what other services do these women use, right? Well, they actually might use pest control, right? They might use resistant travel bands when they're not working out in the gym with me. They probably have a hairdresser, right? So kind of thinking through every single touch point. And then from there, you start working through and saying, okay, out of all these people who actually has the most business and can drive the most business to me because where it starts to get discouraging is you set up affiliate partnerships with people who have really small businesses and they have no traffic coming in. So if you're counting on them to help you scale your business, you pick the wrong horse, right? You got to pick horses that are running the race and winning. And that would be the next filter through here is like who actually has good foot traffic, who actually has good email traffic, who actually is growing on a regular basis. That's who I want to partner myself with. If you want to partner with them, you have to pay them well and you have to be able to track what they're sending to you, right? So you can go to them and say, this, I'm new to this, but here, here's why I think we're fit. You serve this demographic. I serve this demographic. I'm willing to pay you this. And I know that, you know, it might be like, I, I know that my offer might not yet be completely dialed in, but I'm willing to pay you for every lead. I'm willing to pay you for every click. I'm willing to kind of figure this out until we have an offer that's attractive enough and optimized enough to stand on its own. And once you have that, people will come to you. You no longer have to go out and like recruit them as much. They're going to start coming to you and saying, hey, I heard your offer converts well. I heard, you know, it's a great fit. You know, other people in the community are making money with you. Let's talk. Let's set up a deal. Right. And so this is what happens when you optimize your offer. The last part of that is optimizing, continu continuously optimizing and improving your offer on every touch point, making increase in lifetime customer value, increase in the average order value. Once you do that, 
what I see a lot of people doing is they might increase the average order value and the lifetime customer value, but then that doesn't trickle down to your affiliates. If you are making more money, you should give them a little bit more money because that's going to not only further motivate them, it's going to keep your competitors from taking your position, right? And so just if you're continuously optimizing, continuously working, that's what's really going to set you ahead of the game. And so if you're new to it, that's kind of how I think things through. It's a very high level you know, thing. There's going to be a lot of details in there. And if you guys need help, you can always come and ask. But like, that's what I'd be doing. And then if you're already doing affiliate marketing, there's just ways to improve it and plug the holes and ex explode it even more. Now, if your mind is racing with ideas or questions, don't worry. Amber actually has a free resource for you. So we put together a super comprehensive guide. It's about 19 pages and it's called a know your numbers guide. And this guide is a wonderful resource for new people to affiliate marketing. And there's also some really juicy nuggets in there for companies that are already doing affiliate marketing. So we have things like how do you calculate EPC or earning per click? And, you know, what are these interchangeable terms like joint venture marketing, like email swipe, like what are all these things? So we have full vocabulary built out. So you feel really confident having this guide. It's designed for you to give to your team and for you to absorb. And then there's also some high level things in there for more advanced affiliate marketers, because I never know who's listening. I want to make sure that I can support people of any size in that. So if you go to East Fifth Avenue, dot com slash gift you can go ahead and download that and it also if you ever want to set up a call with me or my team to help you kind of walk through that you can also do that so eastwithavenue.com slash gift you download it it's 5th avenue fully spelled out hey dm listeners thanks for listening today we'd love to know what you thought about today's new format do you like hearing other marketers stories or should we just stick to the tactics and strategies find us on social at digital marketer and let us know it's been a pleasure hanging out with you, and we appreciate you being a part of the DM family and hope one day to feature you on one of our future episodes. We'll see you next time. Hey, DM listeners, if you're running a Black Friday or Cyber Monday special, listen up, because Digital Marketer just released our Canva holiday promo pack. It includes almost 200 templates that you can use to make the graphics for all your upcoming holiday specials and three unique design themes for each holiday. The promo pack is usually $27, but you can get it today for free. Check the show notes for the link to download, or you can go directly to digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates. That's digitalmarketer.com forward slash LP forward slash holiday templates.